Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Thursday, January 4th. The single biggest takeaway I have thus far from week number one of the 2024 season is everything's been impressive. Yes, I try to focus more on the glass half full rather than glass half empty takes on this podcast, but there really haven't been any flops. So many different players have come out of the gate swinging. I mean, even in losses over the last 24 hours, I was really impressed by what I saw from Brenda Fruvertova. Yes, Coco Golf pulled away down the home stretch, but Fruvertova is 16 years old. If you weren't impressed by the young rising star, I'd, I just don't know what you were watching yesterday. Similarly, I know Svitolina pulled away in the third in her second round match in Auckland against Emma Raducanu, but given how long it has been since we've seen Raducanu play, her level through those first two sets, both 7-6 sets, dare I say, was that top 20 tennis? Was that the best tennis she has played since the 2021 U.S. Open? It's something we can explore on this podcast along with all of my other takeaways from the last 24 hours in the tennis world. I mean, I haven't even mentioned Brisbane yet. 0-1 victories for both Sabalenka and Rabakina. Wins from players like Andriva, Naskova, and others. A lot to get excited about as we approach our first championship weekend of the year, of course, on on the men's side in Brisbane, Rafa looks like Rafa. I mean, the single biggest compliment I can give Rafa in his return to the court this week is how unmemorable it has been in the sense that he looks like he always looks. He overwhelms player with just the totality of his effort, the totality of the heaviness of his shots, and that was the case again against Jason Kubler. We can get into a little more depth, I suppose, on today's show, talk about how Grigor Dimitrov continues to show top 10 form. Yep, I'm not done beating down that well or whatever the expression is, to all of you listeners. And then, of course, United Cup. You had a thriller between France and Norway, ATP Hong Kong. We got the debut of Andre Rublev, a couple of other things I want to discuss from that event as well. And then I want to offer you an update on some challengers. 125K WTA action you should know about as, again, we stare down the barrel of our first championship weekend of the 2024 season. I'm amped for it. I'm sure many of you listeners are as well. I'm going to be honest, I'm back in Indianapolis at CRHQ. For what it's worth, this podcast, no intro, outro, took West off one day longer to get home, so bear with us. We'll be back to full speed tomorrow, but it's the first championship weekend of the 2024 season. We're going to have podcasts for you, not just Friday, but Saturday, Sunday as well. We'll try to bring David Kane on maybe that Sunday podcast to offer us a more full-throated recap of week number one, but... I'm so excited to be back again. Another new season. So much tennis to discuss, not just at the pro level, but here's the shameless plug you all knew was coming, right? College tennis is on the horizon. If you want to hear more about that level, you want to hear our top 10 Division I men's and women's teams heading into the 2024 season, go give the Great Shot podcast a listen. I promise you are going to enjoy it. Also, be sure to check out the Cracked Interviews podcast. Go subscribe to our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. That's how you say that word. That's what that 
medium is called. Go subscribe to our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel where we plan to have plenty of fun new content for all of you fans to enjoy throughout the course of the 2024 season. And last but certainly not least, a massive thank you to you listeners for tuning in day in, day out. A thank you to all of you who tweet out the link to this podcast. It's always going to get a retweet from me. It makes me feel good when I don't have to shamelessly plug my own podcast. And again, the kind words are always extremely appreciated. So to those of you who have already said things, you know who you are. Uh, I don't want to overlook any of you, but I just want to try and keep some form of focus, at least, you know, the typical level of focus that I display show in, show out here on this podcast. Anyways, a thank you to all of you listeners. We plan to have more content for you this year. A thank you, of course, to the support we get from our dear friends at Tennis Point for all of your tennis equipment needs at the best prices, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. By the way, Tennis Point is international, so no matter where you're listening, that's where you got to turn for all of your tennis equipment needs, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. All right, let's start in Auckland, and again, big picture, the match was lopsided, right? Coco Goff cruising pretty comfortably, 6-3, 6-love into the quarterfinals. She has looked the part of reigning U.S. Open champion of top five player in the world. I do think she got stronger this offseason. There's just a little bit more pace behind that forehand, a little bit more pace. I don't know. It just feels like her first step's a little more powerful, that she's covering even a little more ground, which is crazy to say because she was already a top five mover last season. She overwhelmed Brenda Fruvertova with her athleticism, with her physicality. And you could tell right out of the gates, Coco Goff's intention was to make that match a track meet. And it's just a stark reminder that she has that gear to her. Yes, I know Fruvertova is 16, and you shouldn't expect Fruvertova to be, to, excuse me, have that degree of physicality in her bag, in her arsenal kids nowadays. I've been around my little brother a lot, and it's always in his bag, right? In her bag. Uh, A bag of tricks being the colloquialism. Anyways, uh, that's not what Brenda Fruvertova, I suppose. Uh, Now I'm just going to be thinking about how I said it's not in her bag the entire podcast. Anyways, you shouldn't expect her to have that overwhelming degree of physicality yet. That's something that's developed over time, and this is someone who is 16 years old, who still isn't a top 100 player, who is still yet to play 100 tour-level matches, yet alone 50 tour-level matches. And so, again, Coco Goff is elite. I mean, Coco Goff is 19 years old, and for her to already have this degree of physicality developed speaks to the fact that she already in her career has played well over 100 tour-level matches, that she is a slam champion, and that she can do plan B, C, and D if things need to get physical, and she just needs to extend rallies. She needs to absorb, redirect the first blow of her opponent and just wait for her opportunities, she can do that as well as in the second set, use her plus one serve forehand combination, use her comfort level moving forward, using her speed to beat you to the spot, you know, again, overwhelm you with her aggression. She did everything she needed to do throughout the course of that match, and that's why she only dropped three games within it. But, and I know, again, that word's going to do some heavy lifting here, I really liked what I saw from Brenda Fruvertova. I love the technique. They just straight up, I guess that's where we start, where I just think her ability to absorb, redirect pace, along with just dish out some pace of her own. She's going to be play matches on her own terms when she does eventually, again, continue as she continues to develop because the pace, excuse me, is already there. And 
I love how her momentum is always moving forward in all of her ground strokes, the way she turns into every ball, particularly on the forehand side, which, again, it's a little loopy, but I wouldn't describe it as a hitch. I think it's a very fluid technique. I think the backhand is, much like her sister's, pure. Um, It was the uh, aggression with which she was playing, and even the errors in set number two as they started to pile up, you understood why they were piling up because she understood, hey, I'm not going to beat Coco Goff in a track meet. i got to take some swings. I'd rather lose missing than lose just getting pushed around the court by Goff. And again, whether it's the way she goes after an inside-out forehand, the way she leans into a cross-court forehand, she can drive backhand line, she can find the cross as well. I thought she anticipated pretty well also. I... You hate to compare her to her sister because I think they're both going to be top 50 players moving forward, and it's just not a kind thing to do. It's not that it's not a kind thing to do. It's just a reactionary thing to do because you're like, oh, I've seen a Fruvertova before. Here's the differences, and here's the similarities. Obviously, again, the backhands, you see them both strike them. You're like, oh, they must be sisters. Brenda might even be a better athlete in terms of that fluidity in and out of corners. And, you know, again— that she's 16 years old, and I thought she put up a really fun fight in set number one. Now, again, ultimately, Goff pulled away in set number two, but I'm not expecting her to sustain a top-five level for two hours yet. To see her play top-five tennis through six games, maybe not top-five tennis. That might be a little hyperbolic, but that was clearly a top-20 level from a 16-year-old for like a half-hour stretch. That's got to matter. And I went through all of the success yesterday for Brenda Fruvertova, who has primarily, not primarily, exclusively, pretty much played at the ITF level. She's 49-8 and eight, uh, last season. And you look for her again so far this year, 3-1 and one wins over Blinkova and two wins in qualifying in Auckland. So what is that? Let's, let's do some math. Oh, for her career, here's the, that's the number I wanted to show you. 102-19 for her career in pro matches. She's played 121 matches. She's won 84% of them. During that stretch of time, she has also won 15. She has won 15 pro circuit titles. Again, all 40Ks, 60Ks, 25Ks, all at the ITF level. But this is someone who has already won 15 different titles in her career. That is crazy. And again, 16 years old, I saw top 20 tennis out of her for that front 30 minutes. And then I saw someone who was trying to problem solve, trying to get themselves over a finish line in a match. They knew they were, you know, the lesser, her game didn't match up at the time. And yet she continued to keep swinging. I just, I liked everything I saw. I was really impressed. And that was my first, dare I say, full Brenda Fruvertova match experience. And again, I don't think anyone is selling stock for Fruvertova. It's all buying because she has been a top 10 junior because she has been a name to follow throughout the course of her career. Now you're starting to see it at the highest level. Obviously, she's 117 in the world to start the season with her success this week. She's up to a new career high, 109. I mean, again, we might have a world where we have two 16-year-olds in the top 75 to end the year between her and Mira Andriva. That is a crazy thought to think. And again, speaks to, dare I say, some of the depth we see right now in women's tennis. She advances the, uh, excuse me, she's knocked out though. Coco Golf ultimately advancing to a quarterfinal where a date with Vavara Gracheva awaits Gracheva knocking out Lulu Sun. Three and four, good win for the eighth seed, who 
again, kind of struggled down the season's home stretch, uh, but has sustained herself. Top 75 player in the mix, certainly gets to set her schedule accordingly. Anyways, I just, I don't know how she's going to be able to hurt golf consistently enough to get over the finish line there. Tennis abstract agrees golf, a 91.9% favorite. Uh, I would not lean in any other direction. I do expect Coco Golf not only to win this match. I Here's what I'll say, though. I don't think she should be a 70.3% favorite to win the event as Tennis Abstract has her. And here's why. Alina Svitolina is playing some serious ball right now. And her match with Emma Raducanu yesterday was excellent. Not good. It was excellent. Svitolina ultimately 6-7-7-6-6-1, able to advance to the quarterfinals. Emma played really good tennis. I do think this is the best tennis I have seen Emma play since the 2021 U.S. Open. I think it was better than her in Seoul in 2022. I think it was better. You know, again, there's some different runs you want to point to during that 2022 season. Fine. Even last year, Indian Wells, she makes the round of 16 wins over Haddad, Maya, Lynette. I thought this was better. Like It was just the way, she, the physicality she displayed through the first two sets. And look, ultimately, this was a two-hour, 49-minute match. Svitolina able to pull away, as I mentioned, 6-1 in that third set. You could tell County just wasn't able to move in and out of the corners as she was able to in those first two sets. But the movement was not an issue through those first two sets. She played Svitolina evenly in that sense. And Svitolina is still one of the most fluid athletes we have in the women's game. And look, again, it's Radakanu's ability to absorb, redirect pace down the line off of both wings so well. If you are not ready for it, she's going to beat you with her forehand down the line, just beat you to that spot. And obviously, I think the backhand stands out a little bit more because she's able to reproduce it more frequently. But Look, there were some second serve issues, certainly, and that will continue to be the case as Radakanu tries to regain her rhythm uh, coming back on tour this year. But the level she showed, I was really impressed. And again, we got two two-and-a-half-hour matches out of Radakanu. Really could have won both of them, had her opportunity to break Svitolina down the home stretch of set number two. Svitolina, though, she is playing some ball. Again, athletically, she is just back to where she was prior to having her first child and I do think there's just a little more pace behind her forehand. I think she's willing to take her backhand line a little bit more frequently now to try and end some points a little bit more on her terms because she doesn't want to always devolve, have things devolve excuse me, into a track meet. And yet, it was that underlying physicality that allowed her to pull away from Radakanu down the home stretch. Still, Radakanu was striking the ball brilliantly. The return of serve, her backhand down the line is just back. I'm very impressed by what I've seen from Emma in week number one. This gets back to, again, everything's been pretty impressive so far in week number one. Even in losses, Fruvertova, Radakanu, two of my headline performers. But, again, Svitolina's playing some serious balls. She's playing top 20 tennis, period. We saw that against Wozniacki. We see that now against Radakanu. She's got another test, maybe the toughest test. Oh, Maybe the happy medium between Radakanu and Wozniacki in Marie Boshkova. Boshkova, again, had that 0-1 quarterfinal win over Anisimova. Boshkova's the favorite, according to Tennis Abstract. 58.8%. That's obviously due to the small sample size of matches Svitolina has played. I would lean Svitolina. I do think she's going to win that match. I think we get a Goff-Svitolina 1-2 seed um, final in Auckland, and that would be a really fun championship match. I, I'm, honestly, I'm fine with any of these outcomes as you look at the other two 
quarterfinal matches. Emma Navarro going to take on Petra Martic. Martic, a 51.3% favorite. Wang Shiyu going to take on Diane Perry. Shiyu, a 75% favorite. Again, Goff, 70.3% according to Tennis Abstract Singles Forecast to win the event. The reason I bring those up, by the way, is just to give you a gauge of what the statistics are saying. If you take their backgrounds, who they've played, etc. I just think Tennis Abstract's formula is the most accurate predictor we have in the business. Shout out to Jeff Sackman. And it allows me to disagree with something when I'm doing these solo monologues or agree with something. Again, it's my frame of reference. I guess I'm disagreeing with you, Jeff, all the time. Um, No, I think that one's a wee bit high, but I'll tell you what, I really like the formulas forecast for the Brisbane WTA quarterfinals moving forward. And that, of course, is where I want to turn to next because, oh man, is it going to be a fun championship weekend? Just listen to these matchup surface value before we get into how we got here. Top seed Arena Sabalenka is playing fifth seeded Daria Kasatkina. Eighth career head-to-head matchup between two top 20 players. 5-2 lead for Sabalenka. In on that one, fun contrast of styles. You've got Ostapenko, your number three seed, taking on Victoria Azarenka. Ostapenko, oh my goodness, does she look good right now? We'll talk about her win over Pliskova here today, but obviously for Vika, I mentioned this yesterday, the numbers love her. She gets a real chance to strut her stuff against a top 20 opponent. In Yelena Ostapenko, again, we held seed top half of the draw. Two top 20 quarterfinal matches. Vika might be outside the top 20. I don't want to lie to you listeners. Victoria Azarenka right now is currently sitting at 22 in the live ranking. So two top 25 quarterfinal bouts and it's week number one of the season sign me up for that and again if that's not enough you do have another top 30 bout with Anastasia Potapova currently the world number 27 taking on Elena Rabakina again Rabakina 0-1 or 1-0 against Mertens we'll get into that in a moment but She's the reigning Australian Open finalist. She's still alive. Potapova, after that magnificent sunshine swing, kind of fumbled, or at least didn't sustain that level down the season's home stretch. But talk about one of the most talented young players we have in the women's game, a former top junior in the world, someone who can do a little bit of everything and showed that in a three-set win over Kudermatova yesterday. I think she is someone who could absolutely pop and end the year as a top 15 player at the end of this season, and she's going to get a chance to show that against Rabakina. Again, those are three top 30 matches on the women's side in Brisbane. If you're going to follow any event down the seasons, excuse me, down this weekend, throughout the course of this weekend is how you would say that in English, if you are going to follow any event this weekend, it should be this women's event in Brisbane. Because those three matchups, Sabalenka, Kasakina, Ostapenko, Azarenka, and Potapova, Rabakina, those aren't even my favorite. My favorite is Noskova and Drifa because I'm a nerd. And it's, I know, our two unseeded players, but you've got the highest-ranked 16-year-old in the world in Mira Andriva, who so far this event has earned a 2-3 win over Diana Schneider, a 2-1 win over Ludmilla Samsonova, and a 1-1 win over Rodianova. Rodianova, excuse me. That's how Andriva's gotten to this quarterfinal. And she's honestly, again, I would say the underdog. I would lean Linda Noskova, the talented 19-year-old who just, when she makes contact with the ball, it's special. And she earned a three-set victory over Julia Reyera, who I really locked in on for the first time. There are some things I liked, some things I'm curious about moving forward. But 
come on, it's two of the most talented young players we have on tour. Again, we've gotten to see Fruvertova and Driva Naskova here in week number one to supplement these top 30 matchups we have in Brisbane. It's a really fun opening week on the women's side. And of course, you've still got Sviantek, you've got Caroline Garcia in action in United Cup. So we'll get into, uh, again, those events. We'll get into United Cup, excuse me, in a moment. But to lock in here on Brisbane, uh, just to run you through all of these matchups, because again, we did have eight of them yesterday. Let's start with the blowouts. Sabalenka 1-0. I mean, again, I said this after her first round match. I'll say it again here. I do think there is a delta between Sviantek, Sabalenka, and everyone else. Sabalenka is just the best power tennis player we have in the women's game right now, period. And Iga's the best at everything else. And as I described it yesterday, the immovable force, Arena Sabalenka, excuse me, the unstoppable force, Arena Sabalenka, versus the immovable object, Iga Sviantek, uh, whatever way, whatever side of the equation you want to put them on. I just, the totality of things those two bring to the court. Special stuff. Again, it's a really fun one-two right now. And all due respect to Ju Lin, but she just didn't quite have the power to hang with Sabalenka. So Sabalenka, 1-0 victory. You also had Rabakina, 1-0 over Elisa Mertens. And I will tell you what, I do think, again, the Delta is there, but, and I do think this is worth including, Elena Rabakina is probably closest to bridging that gap. I do think her best is the next closest to Sabalenka and Rabakina. I'm not saying she's consistently across surfaces or across calendar, across events, always showing us that best, perhaps as much as a Pagula or a Goff were consistent down last year's home stretch of the season or last year's hard court season. But when Elena Rabakina plays her best, it is elite power tennis. And I do think, again, She's perhaps a hair less consistent than a Sabalenka, although her technique probably a little bit easier, a little bit more fluid. Her first serve is just in her power tennis. Her choices are so much more straightforward. She's a little bit more decisive in her power tennis. Sometimes Sabalenka, you know, likes to mix in the slice, play with her food a little bit, although I do think Sabalenka a little bit more fluid in terms of a mover in and out of corners. And again, if you're telling me, Rabakina, your comparison is 0.94 of Sabalenka, I think that's probably about right. She's still an extraordinarily effective power tennis player. And again, I do think her best is probably the third best we have in the world right now. And we saw that on display last night. I hope that wasn't my best explanation. I apologize to you listeners. Anyways, 1-0. We have to leave it in. We don't have super producer Daniel Westoff quite yet. 1-0 over Mertens. That's crazy. That's a ridiculous run. And it sets up a really fun quarterfinal matchup for her between uh, with her and Anastasia Potapova. For what it's worth, Potapova, 1-0 in the career head-to-head in their matchups and Looked really good yesterday in a 7-5-6-7-6-4, hour victory over Kudermatova. Now, to have to play that match the next day and deal with the power tennis of Elena Rabakina. If this is a lopsided loss, it's a schedule-induced lopsided loss. If Potapova comes back and wins this match and shows some sort of form, oh my goodness, you better buy that Potapova stock right away to start this season. Because again, the 22-year-old was just straight up better. Then Veronica Kudermatova yesterday in a 7-5, 6-7, 6-4 victory. She 
You know, again, face just one break point. That is not correct on Jeff Sackman's website. I apologize, Jeff, for calling out the website in that moment, but I saw Kudermatova have more than one break point. In fact, she had uh, seven break points throughout the course of the match and was able to convert on three. But again, Potapova, when things broke down, here's how I'll describe it. I think this is the most accurate assessment. Kudermatova's plus one tennis was better than Potapova's. She was more easily able to get into her plus one playbook, hit that big first serve, big first forehand to put away a point combination. But she, but when things devolved beyond that, Potapova was better at everything else. Potapova was more fluid in and out of corners. She was able to throw up the lob, play some defensive slices, win stretch. She was able to dig herself out of more plus one positions uh, defensively than Kudermatova, vice versa. Again, why did Kudermatova keep pace? Because when her serve, her first forehand are connecting, they're just really difficult to deal with. She'll swing down on a backhand and drive it through the court cross court impressively. She's a top 20 player. Potapova could just straight up do more things. And then Potapova started coasting on serve in that third set and was able to match Kudermatova's plus one during the course of that set. That's what allowed her to pull away an early break for her in the third set. Uh, ultimately, again, or not an early break for her, but ultimately Potapova, 7-5-6-7-6-4. Excellent win for her to kick off this season and, again, has her up right now to number 27 in the live rankings. Knocking on the door of that top 25. She's going to be seated, though, in Australia. Always a good thing. At the year's first major, she was a three-set winner, as was Linda Naskova. Naskova 6-1, 6-7, 6-3 over Julia Riera. A great week for the 21-year-old Argentinian who has a special kick serve. Her kick plus one forehand combination, she's going to be a top 50 player on clay courts, folks. She also moves extraordinarily well. Again, hits the backhand flat. Her game was clearly tailored on those Argentinian clay courts. Not surprising. Um, and yet there's still a little bit more pace. She can flatten out her forehand. She is more than comfortable moving forward behind it, fluid in and out of the corners. Problem was the second serve floated on her and everything that floated. And sometimes her forehand would sit up on her as well when pressured by pace on these quicker courts. And anything that sat up, 19-year-old Linda Naskova was just on top of. And she was striking the ball brilliantly. Again, Naskova made the final of this event last year. So even in making the quarterfinals this week, she's still down 17 spots in the WTA rankings, though back up to number 57 by reaching at least the quarterfinals and saving those points. Naskova should have won the match in straights. It was always on her tempo, made a few errors in that second set breaker. Uh, but ultimately, again, Naskova able to get the break right out of the gates in the uh, third set. Ultimately goes up a double break right away to start the third as well. Naskova able to advance to the quarterfinals where, again, a date with Linda, on uh, Linda Mira Andriva awaits. Andriva cruising, cruising, one and one. She is, again, we t I talked about Fruvertova. I think she strikes the ball so brilliantly. I think physically she's not quite there yet. Andriva is. Like, talk about a mover. Uses her size well. Again, has that fluidity to absorb or redirect pace as well. It's not just as a mover. She's got that springiness to her. Doesn't always play, again, with that aggressive mindset, the way Fruvertova is always freely swinging, and yet can hit that gear when she needs to and just overwhelm you if you don't have weapons to hurt her. Mira Andreeva can just do a lot on the court. She's going to be really good for a really long time. I'm excited to see her tested against the pace of Linda Naskova. Again, Naskova, 50.3% favorite, according to Tennis Abstract. 
three-set win for Noskova. It was also a three-set win for Yelena Ostapenko, who got the best from Karolina Pliskova. Pliskova was really impressive in her two matches against Naomi Osaka, as well as despite in a loss here against Ostapenko. But Ostapenko's moving really well. And when she's moving well, everything else falls into place because when she is at the ball, when she has time to make contact cleanly, her ability to strike the ball has never been in question for the first time this year. I will remind all of you, she has had a, a residency in Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club since she won that 2017 French Open. And again, the, the house light isn't always on, but it's been on a lot more of late. She's been spending some more time at the country club playing this elite power tennis because she just had Pliskova on a string. And there were moments when Pliskova was able to hit behind Ostapenko, was able to certainly play on her front foot behind her first serve. But Ostapenko is an elite returner. And she's serving well. She's moving well. She's playing confidently. She looks good. Like, she looks really good. She's the number one dark horse. And maybe she's just going to crack your top five list straight up. But we saw her. We've just seen this from Ostapenko before. Obviously, we know her best level can be top five. It's can she sustain that level for two, three, four, dare I say even seven matches. She's looked really good so far in wins over Georgie and Pliskova. Going to get tested again, obviously, against Azarenka, a 5-2 and two winner over Clara Burel. But uh, again, that's a fun one. And certainly Ostapenko has some, is someone who has impressed me about as much as anyone so far in week number one of the season. And again, your quarterfinal matchups, Kasakina, who earned a straight set victory over Lynette, will take on Sabalenka. It's Ostapenko, Azarenka, Naskova versus Andreeva, and Potapova versus Rybakina. That is your action in Brisbane on the women's side. On the men's side, headline, of course, belongs to Rafael Nadal, who continues to, dare I say, look like Rafa. So far in this 2024, that's the year, 2024, first time I think I've done that, season it was never in doubt yesterday. One and two over Jason Kubler. I will say he is hitting his backhand cross with particular pace right now. And just felt like any time Kubler set anything up, it was just drive and line drive tennis and real easy at that uh, off the racket of Rafa. And again, I, I just the sentiment is, of course, if Rafa is back on court, it means he's able to give 110% of himself because that's the only speed Rafa knows. And again, I just don't think he would return if he was going to be a shadow of himself, if injuries were going to be an issue because he doesn't want to limp through a match. He wants to be able to be this 110% version of himself always. And that's what he was, elite. All due respect to Jason Kubler, just he couldn't generate anything on his own. Everything was on Rafa's terms. Rafa one and two, he dominated. And I'm looking forward to seeing him tested against another Aussie in his quarterfinal matchup as he will take on Jordan Thompson, who, of course, received a withdrawal uh, from his apon- uh, opponent, excuse me, Ugo Umber. Going to have to look up the reasoning for that withdrawal. Hopefully it won't be an issue for him moving forward. Other two matches were also fun. I mean, just quickly, the other blowout, Grigor Dimitrov, and you may have, if you follow me on Twitter, seen this stat from me. I wanted to tweet this out to further cement my argument that Grigor has played top 10 tennis over the course of these past, dare I say, six, seven months. You look for Grigor since his run to the Geneva final in May of last season. He is now 33-12 and 12 overall. 33-12. and 12. 
It's a 73% win percentage. He's made the quarterfinals or further in eight of the 13 total events he's played. And by the way, where didn't he make the quarterfinals? Well, one of those was Wimbledon, where he lost a round of 16, four sets to Runa. The other, U.S. Open, third round, fourth set thriller, as we all saw, against Sasha Zverev. He lost a three-set match in the Vienna round of 16 to Daniil Medvedev as well. So, like, it's not as though his pre quarterfinal losses have been bad losses. Again, 33-12, and 12, quarterfinals or further in eight of his last 13. He's 9-9 nine nine against the top 20. 6-7 and seven against the top 10, one of five guys to rank top 15 in both hold and break percentage. That's a top eight guy, and he's been that for six months now consecutively, and I've been beating that drum here repeatedly over the last three months. Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully those statistics cement my argument. And if you haven't watched him play again, he rolled over Daniel Altmaier. That match was never in doubt. One and two victory for him. A shout out, of course, as well to my guy, Rinky Hijikata, former UNC All-American, former guest on the Cracked Interviews podcast. He reaches his second career tour-level quarterfinal. Five, seven, six, two, seven, six come from behind victory over Thomas Mychak. Is Rinky the biggest guy? No. Does he lack in pace? Absolutely not. Does he lack in strength? Absolutely not. And the thing I like most is the gumption with which he moves forward. My check was giving him six, ten feet on the return of serve. So Rinky threw in serve and volley. He can do a little bit of everything. Obviously, I think the quicker the court, the better the Rinky. But shout out to Rinky Hijikata. Again, seven, six in the third was just a boulder of the two players in the breaker. You could see the reaction on his face. It's not just a second tour level quarterfinal, but for him to do it in his home country, to have the crowd supporting him. He is through, again, Dimitrov, Nadal, both heavy favorites by the eye test to advance over Thompson, Hijikata respectively. But hey, they got to play Aussies on Aussie home soil. And you know that crowd is always going to back their own. So those are two fun quarterfinal matches. Of course, a reminder, top half of the draw, Runa is going to take on the Aussie. James Duckworth, Roman Safulin, Matteo Arnaldi. That is going to be fantastic physical tennis. Uh, right now, according to Tennis Abstract, Grigor, 45.4% favorite, Runa, 9.3%, Safulin at 9 then Nadal, 7.3 But remember, Rafa hasn't played in quite some time, and uh, it's tough for the forecast to adjust for the Rafa factor of it all. Let's move on now, though, to United Cup. Again, it was only three United Cup matches within the realm of one United Cup more broadly match yesterday, so we can knock it out here quickly. I really liked what I saw uh, from Casper Ruud, and I can't emphasize this enough. He That was a terrible—again, I would have cut that. Sorry, Westoff's not here. Let's try that again, but you're all going to have to hear that. Did you hear the disappointment in my voice? This just shows—I want to be honest with you listeners. I wasn't impressed with that transition. Anyways, United Cup. Oh, my goodness, has Casper Ruud looked good. He has looked like a top 10 player. And of any person I feel like I need to take an L on coming into or coming off of the offseason, I think for me it's Casper Ruud. Like, I severely, I think, underrate the season Casper Ruud might have this year because he looks stronger. Like, there is just more pace behind his forehand. He hit the backhand cross so disciplined yesterday. And just dominated a 6-1-6-4 win over Adrian Manorino. He didn't face a single break point throughout the course of the match. I think he had double-digit aces as well. The pace was outstanding. He seems to have gotten stronger without, again, losing a step or losing any fluidity in and out of corners. He just looks fit. 
he just looks ready for the start of this season. He looks like him, his top 10 self. And again, if this is the guy who Casper Ruud is, it's a top eight player. And you just start to look again. Why do I, I've decided to change the barometer folks, by the way, I had this discussion with our dear friend, eyebrow nemesis, Gil Gross on why I'm a top eight, not a top 10 guy. And part of it goes to, for those of you who are fans of the NBA, NFL, they have their first team all pros, right? And for me, if you're a first team all pro in tennis, you're qualifying for a tour finals in any given season. Those are the best of the best, the eight players who make the tour finals. Thus, for me, like, it's cute if you're nine or 10. That's really good. You're a top 10 player. But you got to be top eight to be on the dance floor and get to compete amongst the best of the best in that year-end championship. So top eight is now the metric I'm going to turn to more frequently this year for elite of the elite. And this version of Kasparud, who's gotten wins straight sets over Greek sport, Chorich, Manorino, hasn't been pushed to 7-5 or further in any of those sets, has been broken just one time. He's fought off five of six break points in three matches, six sets of tennis, This is a top eight guy, a guy who has so few holes in his game, a guy who, like I like to allude to, is what the mortal version of Rafael, the mortal righty version of Rafael Nadal, excuse me, looks like. Casper's playing excellent, 3-0 on the week. Again, three top 25 wins as well, and I'm going to say top 25 for George because that's how he was playing throughout the course of that match, and Casper was just better. He has looked good, and obviously, you know, again, unfortunately, he in Norway knocked out as Caroline Garcia able to get a 7-6 in the third win over Helgo, a match where, you know, she wins that breaker 7-5 in the third. Helgo's return off the net cord pops up, gives Garcia a clean look at a forehand. You just want, might have wondered if it's half an inch higher. That ball was coming in low and hot, and Helgo was playing so freely down the home stretch of that match. Really enjoyed her forehand and how aggressive she was with it uh, in terms of her game plan because you have to be the aggressor against Garcia. If she's on her front foot, she's killing you. And then the mixed was excellent. But ultimately, Garcia, Roger Vasselin, able to win 7-5-6-4, secure a 2-1 win for France, who advances, I think, to the semis or finals. I'm, I don't know what round we're in. But they advance in United Cup. Still the most impressive player in men's singles at United Cup, unequivocally, Kasparud. Yeah, Demon looked great against Djokovic, but no, Kasparud's been this guy for three consecutive matches. He is, if they were to do a first team all United Cup, he would be my men's singles representative. Yeah, of course, I'm still picking Novak Djokovic in a match of everyone who played in the field. Let's relax, everyone who's like, what? You didn't pick Djokovic? Yeah, of course your pick is Djokovic. But who was the best performer in men's singles? Who was simply just his level is higher than everyone else's and the consistency across the board. Casper Ruud impressed the most. He's the biggest winner. He's my men's singles first team selection for the 2024 United Cup. Let me know if you agree. Let me know. Obviously, look, the first team women's singles selection still up for grabs, as is the men's. But if you ain't picking Iga, you just ain't doing this right. Anyways, good win for Garcia. France able to advance in United Cup. You look at the draws. Let's look at the draw in United Cup. We can look now. Semifinals. Poland versus France. I mean, Poland should crush them. Um, Australia will play the winner of Greece and Germany. Ooh, does that mean we get Tsitsipas as we tonight? I can stay up late for that and offer you guys some live tweets as it unfolds. Uh, again, Poland, France, Australia, your three teams to advance to the semifinals thus far. Last but certainly not least, on the tour-level side of things, let's go to Hong Kong. And, you know, again, got the debut of Andre Rublev, 4-6 and six win over Liam Brody. Brody 
played his backhand down the line so beautifully throughout the course of the match. And you really did have Rublev on the ropes in that second set. You wonder, had he been able to pull through, though, and force a third, might Rublev's power start to overwhelm him? Because, again, Brody was just hitting the backhand line so beautifully. I don't want to say it was a heat check, but... There, you know, again, it started to leak on him in some of the bigger moments of the match, and that's just a really difficult shot to hit with how heavy Rublev hit that forehand cross into that lefty backhand. Still, I was impressed by what I saw from Liam Brody. That was top 75, top 50 tennis off the Brits racket. And, you know, again, Andre Rublev is who he is. If you don't know what the Rublev performance looks like yet, you just haven't been paying attention these last five years. Rublev, four and six, good way for him to kick off his season because our 50 match, he got pushed, he got calloused up. Uh, but ultimately able to pull through and able to fight off some set points as well with some big forehand, you know, again, with gumption, dare I say, hitting, swinging through the forehand freely despite facing some pressure on the scoreboard. I think he fought off three set points in that second set. It was at least two, uh, but again, Andre Rublev able to get off the court in straight sets. Good way for him to kick off his season. Next, I want to talk Arthur Fee. I mean, again, five and five over Marc-Andre Hussler. Hussler served for that opening set. Fee able to get the break to go to 4-5. Fee then faced a set point on his own serve. Stuck with his plus one aggression. Continue to move forward. Uh, ultimately gets that hold. Able to break for 6-5. Then hold for 7-5. So again, wins the last four games of that first set. Was a back and forth second set. Hussler, the lefty's just got some pace when he's moving well. Again, he could just get a ball by you. No if ands, or buts about it. No, he's not a consistent enough to be a top 25 guy, but he can certainly flash some top 25 shots throughout the course of any given match. And yet, it's when, not if, for Arthur Fee. Again, I think he ends the year unequivocally as a top 20 guy. I may even be as bold to say he's going to end the year as high as number 12 in the ATP rankings. 5-5, five and five, he grinds through. Wasn't always his most consistent, but just found so many different ways to get through to the quarterfinal round. And again... Those were your two headline results. Upset of the day belongs to Roberto Bautista Agu, 5-3 and three over Francisco Sarandolo. Sarandolo's level was just everywhere throughout the course of that match. I will say it's not unsurprising for RBA, who's obviously mid-30s now. He comes in fit. Of course he does. As disciplined of a pro as we have had over the past decade. He's at his fittest, and you can see that right now as he is through to a much-needed quarterfinals. He tries to make it push back up into the top 50. And then, speaking of top 50 guys, that's just Sebastian Ofner, period. As you look at what Ofner has been able to do over his last 52 weeks with the reaching this quarterfinal, he is now up to a career-high 40 in the live rankings. He is 61-30. and 30. He's played 90 matches over the course of the last 52 weeks. 61-30, and 30, he's into his 14th quarterfinal across levels. He is now into his fourth quarterfinal over the last six months at the ATP Tour level. Has only made one Tour-level semifinal during that stretch of time, but again, he's unequivocally a top 50 player, and this is his third on hard courts as well. This is a guy who had a lot of success early in his career on the dirt, now starting to do it across surfaces. Yeah, the forehand grip is still extreme, but... Does it, it, boy, is his backhand contact pure. He moves extraordinarily well. He's just a scrapper. I, I just don't know how else to describe Sebastian Ofer. He just can be one shot better than you can find a different gear. Again, he's into the quarterfinals in Hong Kong. Fun set of quarterfinals there, by the way. Rublev versus Fee. I mean, again, we get that matchup first Friday of the season. Rublev versus Fee. It's probably one of the five best matches we have on the night. Tiafo versus Shung. 
certainly belongs in that conversation. Ofner RBA is going to be a grind. Katov, Rusevori, they're going to clock some forehands. I like all the matchups. Rublev, the 45.6% favorite. Then Tiafo, 16.8. Rusevori, the favorite in the bottom half of the draw, 12.3%. I like all those matchups. I promise we're going to be doing some reporting on that throughout the course of the weekend. As again, we will have podcasts for you Friday, Saturday, Sunday on this show. But before we wrap this Thursday edition, quick challenger, WTA 125K update for all of you listeners. The Canberra Challenger might be my my favorite event. Not the one you need to follow, but my favorite event of the weekend. We've got former Tulane All-American number one player in college tennis, Dom Kopfer, the lefty, taking on a former Kentucky All-American and the 6'7 talent from Canada, Gabriel Diallo. If you haven't watched Diallo play, he just is. A, he's top 100. He will be top 100. He can just do a little bit of everything, and you combine that with his athleticism and just like the fact that he just he gets better every time I see him play. Something new is always added. I'm very much excited for his. Tw- I'm very excited. Excuse me. Except for his 2024 season, that's going to be a fun matchup between the two. Diallo, I don't think has dropped the set this week. In fact, indeed, he has not since his opening round three set win over Manuel Juan Manuel Sarandolo. Uh, again, Diallo through to the semifinals, knocking on the door of a top 130 debut in the ATP live rankings. Kofor, the 55.1% favorite, 1-0 in the career head-to-head. And then you've got 18-year-old Jakub Menchik, who we all got to know, obviously, at last year's U.S. Open. Rising star. He's going to take on former top 50 guy and still someone, again, very early in his ATP career in Brandon Nakashima. Nakashima just... He's looking so much better. Four and four over Tristan Schoolkate. He looks healthy. He's fit. He's. It just feels like Schoolkate didn't have a weapon to hurt him, and Nakashima was just playing a different level of tennis than Schoolkate was, and that's again typically indicative of those players who are coming from. It just he was playing ATP level tennis. I don't know how else to say it. So again, he's gonna get to push Menchik. It's great that he gets to play Menchik and uh, Dino Prismic for us nerds in the course of the same event. But Brandon's looking real good, making me feel good to include him in my top ten Americans to end the year. He is through to the semifinals. He is a 68.4% favorite over Menchik in what is their first career head-to-head. Your other challenger semifinals in Numia, it's Brower versus Kakao, Mayant versus Kazo, three Frenchmen all into the semifinals of that event. You've also got Frenchman Luca Pui taking on Hong Seung Chan in Nothaburi. You've got Val Vashro taking on Su Yu Tso. Uh, and then in Oyeris, you've got Tai Kwiatkowski taking on Igor Gerasimov. Gesto Elias taking on Jaime Ferreira. Valentin Royer taking on Tristan Lamasine, And Max Kaznikowski taking on Jao Sosa. That's what's going on at the ATP Challenger level. Of course, WTA 125K event this week happening in Canberra. Clara Tawson continues to look better and better. This time it's a 4-2 and two win over rising our Australian Maya Joint. Uh, Tawson now going to take on Nuria Perez Diaz, the Spaniard. To, uh, earning the retirement victory as Ocean Dodan, unfortunately, forced to retire in the midst of that second set. Bottom half of the draw, Harriet Dart, always a player I enjoy watching. You know you're going to get a quarterfinal from her during the grass court season at least. She's going to get tested. Again, she's got the weapons advantage, but she'll take on the relentlessness of Katie Volinets. Again, tossing with her win back up to number 100 in the live rankings. Volinets is at 103. That are each one win away from consolidating top 100 spots here to start the year. 
Dart, the 53% favorite, Tossin, 58.4. Pretty even splits, though, across the board. That's a fun 125K to keep your eye on as well. But, folks, again, we approach our first championship weekend of the 2024 season. I'm excited for it. I imagine many of you are as well. And thus, we're going to have podcasts for you Friday, Saturday, Sunday here on this show as we all get to enjoy the start to a new year. Of course, joining us tomorrow on this show at the very least will be our super producer, Daniel Westoff, who will be back from his road trip. And again, he'll get us back to having intro, outro music. He'll get us back to allowing me to perhaps edit out some of the mistakes you may have picked up on throughout the course of this podcast. With that said, of course, a thank you to him, a thank you to all of you listeners, and a thank you to our friends at Tennis Point. It's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that said, for our fantastic super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.